So I want to share a, a story, a memory that I have with you. Some of you guys remember last June, my wife and I, uh, we took our kids out west. We rented an RV driving around uh, Arizona and uh, Utah and Nevada. And there was a, a state park uh, called Sedona, uh, or in Sedona, called Slide Rock State Park. And, and we went there in the morning, Saturday morning, and the parking lot was full. We couldn't get in. And so uh, we drove around, find a spot to pull off on the side of the road in this 32-foot RV that I was could barely drive, and my wife was about to lose it, uh, pulling off on the side of the road on this narrow, windy road in Sedona. But I said, well, look, we can't get into the state park. Let's find a place to, to, to park. We'll hop the guardrail, guardrail go down to the, the, the river. It's the same river. And we'll just find a spot to, to swim and play and, and have fun together. So we did that, and we hopped the guardrail and made our way down the hill to, to, the, to the little river and found a spot to leave our stuff. And we start, you know, doing what you do. You, you play in the river. You, you're walking across. And we're not talking like a huge raging, like mile, mile long or mile deep or anything, but, but significant enough that there was a strong current. And so some of you know what it's like to, to try to stand in the middle of a, of a river or a stream with a strong current. Um, and you're fighting against, you know, the cold water is rushing and you're fighting against the current and the rocks are slippery and you're trying to make your way across. And we found this spot where it looked like we could sort of float down the river, you know, and go through some of the rocks and the rapids. And so I'm walking with Sybil. She's hanging on to me. It's enough that I'm keeping, trying to keep myself standing, you, you know, and we're kind of walking across trying to get to this spot where I think we can stop and I can put her on my chest and we can kind of float down the, the river and enjoy a, a few of the rapids. And, and so again, the, the current is rushing and the rocks are slippery and they're loose and you're trying to find stable footing. And of course, you all see where this story is going, right? So I slip, my feet go out from under me. I, I go underwater and I'm, I'm holding Sybil. So I managed somehow in that moment to, to stay hold of Sybil, and I kind of lifting her up above my head. I'm under the water, now rushing down this, this river, keeping her above water, while I'm just hoping that things calm down before my breath runs out. It wasn't really that dangerous. But I was thinking about that this week as I was studying our passage in First Thessalonians, because I feel like that's what life feels like a lot of the time. You're just hoping you can keep your footing. Right, and the, the rocks are slippery, and the current is is rushing, and and the, the 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 footing is unstable, and you're just like, Lord, don't let me lose my footing. Help me to stay above water to keep my my feet grounded. And we we do. We have the current of life pushing against us, and we have struggles of the world, the flesh, and the devil. All this opposition that is pushing against us like a current. Threatening to, to sweep our feet out from under us. And we have afflictions that we face in life. And the pressures of the world. And the persecution of our enemy Satan. And the temptations of sin. And all of that is like slippery rocks. And a strong current. And cold water threatening to just sweep our feet right out from under us. Which is why in the New Testament we read again and again and again. This call, this command, this charge. Stand firm. Stand firm against the current, against the rocks, against the wind. Stand firm. Keep your footing against afflictions, against the pressures of the world, against temptations. Don't get pushed back. Don't get pushed down. And that's what we're going to hear about this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to read and, and pick up in, in verse 6, 6 through 13 as we continue in this book. And we hear the Apostle Paul's call, the Lord's call to us to, to be people that are standing firm in the faith. And you remember that Paul and Silas had brought the gospel to Thessalonica. 
Church had been planted. People had come to faith, but then they were torn away on short notice without time to prepare the people to raise up adequate leadership to teach them the doctrines of the faith. They were torn away and had to leave the city. And they're worried about their brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. They're eager to go back and visit them. They eventually, we we read, they eventually send Timothy back to check on them. And they're worried, right? They're worried because they don't know how, how how is this church, how are these believers doing? Are they standing firm in the faith? And so they want to see how they're doing. They want to encourage them. We read previously in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, they write, for this reason, Paul says, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul's genuinely worried and concerned about whether or not they've been able to stand firm against affliction and opposition against the current and pressures of the world. So we're going to pick up then in verse 6 after he expresses his, his legitimate fear and to see the outcomes. Let me pray and we'll read the word of God together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a firm foundation. We thank you for the foundation of your word, for the community of faith, for the spirit of God among us. And we pray now that that spirit would come. Holy Spirit, come now. Flood our hearts and our ears and my mouth. Speak the word of God to us. Root us, Lord, that we would not be swept away. Root us in you, that we could stand firm in the faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live If you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So in verse 6, you, you kind of hear that sigh of relief, right? All the fears that, that they had for the people. Oh, good. It's not a reality. The church is doing okay. Timothy brings back a good report, good news about their faith and the love of these new Christians. He's reported that the new believers haven't been influenced by the opponents of the gospel, the people that were trying to lead them away from Christ. In fact, they have Paul, fond memories of Paul and Silas and says that they, they long to see Paul and Silas just as they long to see them. And so in verse 7 we read that, that Paul says, For this reason, because of how well our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica are doing, They say, we're comforted. Now look, Paul and Silas are still facing their own afflictions, their own distress. They're still still being persecuted, still traveling, still facing opposition to their ministry. But in the midst of all of their personal hardships, they are comforted. They are encouraged simply knowing that the faith of those whom they love is strong and steady. Right? In fact, he he says in verse 8, for now we live knowing that you stand fast or stand firm in the Lord. Now, the ESV just says, now we live 
if, if you are standing firm. But Paul is not saying like our physical life is in danger. I don't even think he's saying like our spiritual life. He's not saying like, oh, if, if you are standing firm now, now we can live physically or spiritually. As some translate that, now we really live, right? Like now, now we can really live and experience life knowing that you are doing well. In other words, he's saying we've been rejuvenated. Life has surged in us again, knowing how strong your faith is, knowing how well you are doing. He says in verse 9, how can we ever thank God enough for all the joy that we feel because of you? They, they are rejoicing, they are finding comfort and joy and thanksgiving because of what God is doing in the lives of their brothers and sisters. Now again, first we have to look at our own hearts, our own lives, are we standing firm in the faith? Do we have firm footing against the afflictions that you face, the persecutions of the world, the pressures of Satan, the temptation of sin around you? Are you being pushed back? Are you being pushed down? Or are you rooted and firm in the grace and and love of God? How how do we stand firm? Well, well, I mean, you have to be prepared, right? When You you don't just walk across a, a raging river like with your feet together. No, you, you, you're spread apart, right? You get your balance. You're, you're, you have to expect that pressure and temptation is coming. You have to be ready for opposition. If you want any chance of not being knocked off your feet, you have to anticipate that the blow is coming. And the Thessalonians are standing firm. Certainly to some extent, they knew the pressures. Paul and Silas had faced it. We read last week how they were imitating the the strong faith of of the Jewish Christians in Judea. So they were prepared, but ultimately they're standing firm. What does it say there? They're standing firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord, it says in verse 8. Standing firm in His strength. Standing firm in the freedom that they've achieved through His death. The power that they've found through His resurrection. They're not standing firm ultimately in their own strength. They're standing firm in the Lord. Right? And so I, I imagine walking across this raging river, you know, with this strong current rushing. And your feeble legs are, are, you know, wobbling. But imagine what it would be like to stand firm, like, in an Iron Man suit, you know? Like, in a big, heavy, bulky metal suit, right? Like, Iron Man could have walked across that river that I was explaining to you earlier in Sedona, like, without any problem, right? And so picture yourself standing firm in the Lord, inside of Him, in His grace, in His strength, firmly rooted, stable, able to fight and resist against the currents and the pressures and the temptations and the afflictions of the world around you. We stand firm because Christ has stood firm. We stand firm because we are in Him. And through the power of His death, through the power of His resurrection, through the presence of His Holy Spirit, we too can have the strength in the love of God, in the work of Christ, in the power of the Spirit. And Paul and Silas see the firm faith, see the steadiness, the firm footing of the Christians in Thessalonica. And they are comforted. Now again, as I said, they have their own struggles. But they find comfort in the faith of others. Their strong faith is causing them to be thankful. It brings them joy. It gives them hope. Simply reading they didn't they hadn't even been with the Thessalonians but simply reading or, or hearing a report I guess from Timothy they're now rejuvenated they're reinvigorated their faith has been reinvigorated they were filled with fear and anxiety and worry 
Now they found comfort. And Paul says, now we really live because of how well you are doing. Why? Why why are they so tied? Why is their spiritual well-being, why is their faith so tied to the Thessalonians? Because as we've read again and again in this letter, they love them. They care about them. Paul says, you're like my spiritual children. They felt connected. See, the internal state of their heart was directly tied to the well-being of the ones that they love. Right, parents, you've heard this, this little idiom that you're only as happy as your least happy kid. Right? I have four kids. Whichever one of them is, is in a bad mood that day, and praise God if it's only one, that's about as happy as I can be. Right? Because the state of my heart is tied to the state of their hearts. And, and Paul and Silas and Timothy feel that way about the Thessalonians. They feel that way about their brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and yet when they're doing well, it lifts their soul. It lifts their heart. How many of us can say that we, that we are encouraged, we are rejuvenated, we are filled with life through the testimony of the strong faith of, of someone else? Years ago, a, a, a mom, one of my kid's friend's mom called my wife and she recounted a conversation that she had uh, overheard in the back seat. She was bringing our son and her son home from school and, and her son was sharing something that exciting that had happened to him in school that day, an accomplishment he had had. And my son didn't have the experience, but he complimented his friend and said, that's great. And he congratulated him. And, and the mom was kind of debriefing later that, that day with her son saying, your friend like was happy for you he didn't he didn't get the reward that you got and his, his friend said and this is what she recalled to my wife yeah he's the kind of kid that can be happy when somebody else does well like that, that's a kind of kid right because most of us are too caught up in our own selfishness our own well-being our own happiness but can we be the kinds of kids that rejoice that have comfort that are grateful when God is blessing someone else, when God is strengthening someone. You say, well, I'm still struggling. I'm still dealing with affliction. Affliction. You know, praise God that he released their depression, but I'm still struggling with depression. Praise God that he healed their marriage, but my marriage is still hard. Praise God that that person's no longer struggling with temptation, but I'm still... Yes, yes, that, I, I get that. The Lord understands that. But can we rejoice and find joy in the firm faith of others? Can we find comfort and joy when others are, are, are experiencing strong faith? You know, I, I, I love when I have the opportunity to, to schedule a lunch with Mike Santoro. Because no matter what else I have going on in ministry, no matter what other problems I have, I know I can go and have lunch with Mike Santoro and I can be encouraged. Because I can hear about his faith. I can hear about what he's praying about and what he's pursuing and what he's reading about. Not that Mike doesn't have struggles, Okay, but I get encouraged because I see he's standing firm. Standing firm doesn't mean there isn't pressures, isn't hardships. But we can rejoice and we can glean life. Paul says, now I really live knowing that you are standing firm. Friends, can you be happy when someone else does well? Can you find joy and comfort in the strong faith of others? Now to do so, if we're going to do that, we have to take our eyes off of ourselves, Right? We have to see the bigger picture. We have to see that God... God's heart is to work not only in my life, but in the whole body of Christ. And, and so often in that moment of hurt and pain and deep desperation and, and the strong currents and pressures of the world, all we can see is what we're going through. But can we look up? Can we glean strength from one another? 
As the scriptures say, can we rejoice with those who rejoice? Can we weep with those who weep? 1 Corinthians 12, Paul would write it like this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, friends, the the idea is that we need to think of ourselves as a unit, as a body. With Jesus as our head, each of us as individual members of his body. And, And if one member is honored, we should rejoice. We should feel that level of connection. We're, we're only individual members of, of a body, of a larger connection. And so when, when one of us hurts, we hurt. And when one of us is blessed and rejoicing and standing firm in the faith, we rejoice. So Paul and Silas are finding comfort in the Thessalonians, seeing what they're going through, that they're standing firm in the faith. But they also feel called, we see in, in verse 10, they feel called to reinforce their faith. To reinforce the faith of others. Verse 10 says that though they're comforted and feel this great joy, they continue to earnestly pray day and night about their relationship with the Thessalonians. What's their prayer? Their prayer is that they want to be able to travel back to the Thessalonians to see them face to face. It's not enough. They're glad they got a good report from Timothy, but that's not enough. They still want to go back and see them face to face. We read in in chapter 2, Or Paul wrote, since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Their desire is to be with them. And and we've learned this, haven't we? We've learned this the hard way over the last year and a half, soon to be two years. That there's no replacement for face-to-face time, right? I've been thinking recently, I've been trying to describe to my kids, and I actually showed, showed Sybil the little uh, uh, preview of the Jetsons, little Jetsons trailer. Anybody grow up watching the Jetsons, that futuristic family, right? And we saw the robot made, and we thought, man, only be a couple more years before that. We saw the flying cars. How about the video calling, right? On the Jetsons, they would video call. And, and, and back in the 80s, that just seemed like as far away as you could possibly imagine. Guess what? Now we have video calling, and it's really cool, and it's really helpful. But it's not the same, right? It, it's, it's simply not the same as being face-to-face. You know, early on, humans tried carrier pigeons. And then they wrote letters. And then we invented phones and we could call each other and then send emails and send text messages. And, and then we, we developed FaceTime. But nothing is like being face-to-face with a friend or a loved one. That's what Paul and Silas and Timothy are yearning for, being with the Thessalonians. Being able to see their body language in a way that doesn't translate over video. Being able to to touch them physically. To to see facial expressions. You're like, is that a glitch or is that person staring at me, right? You don't have that problem when you're sitting across the table. When you're walking side by side on the trail. You get to see facial expressions. You hear a tone of voice. And we need to be with those whom we love. With parents and children and and grandparents, and neighbors, and friends, and brothers and sisters in the church. And we find comfort being with one another. And communication is different. And there's encouragement that can happen. And there's affection, and there's intimacy that happens when we're with those whom we love. And so it's good and right that you yearn for that. For those that that are cut off and don't have the kind of intimacy, it's good and right 
that it feels unhealthy. It's good and right that we long to be with people whom we love. Now in verse 10, they clarify why exactly they want to see them. Why do they want to go see them? Do they want to go and say, yeah, we want to go. These guys are so strong. We want to go see their strong faith. We want to verify that they're standing firm. Or, or maybe they're like, man, these Thessalonians have grown so much in Christ. We want to go so that they can encourage us. Is that why they want to go? Do they want to bring other people along? Man, their example is so strong. We want to go see them face to face so we can bring some weaker brothers to be encouraged. No, that's not why they want to go. Why do they want to go in verse 10? So that we can supply what is lacking in your faith. So that we can complete what is lacking in your faith. So that we can fill in your shortcomings. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the whole point of this letter was that the Thessalonians' faith was really strong. Why, why do they want to go there to complete what's lacking in your faith? Right? The whole point is that Timothy's brought back good news of their faith. That even though they're facing adversity and persecution, that they're standing firm. And there's other Christians in the first century that had fallen away, but not the Thessalonians. So why would Paul say he wants to go there to complete what's lacking in their faith? What was still lacking? I mean, did, did, did the Thessalonians, whose faith we've read has been ringing out across the world, other people are looking into them as an example, yet they have shortcomings? Yep. Yep. Even the strongest, wisest, maturest saint in this room still needs to be strengthened. Even the most steadfast faith can grow. Even the most mature Christ-like man or woman still is not perfect, right? Paul says it like this in Philippians chapter 3. He's talking about the resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, one day seeing Jesus. He says in first, or excuse me, in Philippians 3, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, to make the resurrection fullness my own because christ jesus has made me his own brothers i do not consider that i have made it my own but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus i haven't obtained it i'm not there yet i'm not already perfect but i press on and until the day you die The call is to press on towards Christ, to press on in maturity, to press on by His grace and by His strength toward perfection because we're not there yet. We haven't obtained it. We haven't been yet transformed fully into the image of Christ. And so the call is to forget what lies behind, to strain forward to what lies ahead, to press on towards the goal. We press on to make Him our own, knowing that He has made us His own. We're reaching ahead, striving, straining forward to to reach Christ, knowing that He already has us by the scruff of the neck. He's already reached down, and He has us firmly, and now He calls us to reach up to Him, to reach forward toward Him, press on towards the goal. And so those of you that that are stable, that are strong, that are steady, praise God. When you look back and the, 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 the things that used to tempt you 5, 10 years ago, the things that used to discourage you 10, 20 years ago, and you say, I don't wrestle with that anymore. Praise God. But can I, in love, remind you that there are still areas of lack in your life. Still things that need to be completed. Still, still lack in your 
faith. Now, some of you see this point and you're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Nobody's perfect yet. We're not all like Jesus. Fine. But some of you wrestle with a different issue, which is this. Isn't it kind of arrogant of Paul and Silas to think that they're going to go see them, visit them face to face, and that they're going to show up and somehow they are going to be the ones to complete what's lacking in their faith? You're nodding. You're wondering that, right? Like, who am I? To say, yeah, I'm going to go have lunch with Gary this week or with Alan this week or with Ed this week and, and I am going to complete what's lacking in their faith. I'm going, to, I'm going to supply what they're missing. Isn't that a little presumptuous? No, it's not. Because we serve and minister to one another because God is in us. God is working in and through us in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We can, we should, and we need to serve one another, be proactive with one another, look to build up one another, strengthen one another, invest in one another, seek to mature one another. And so as much as an encouragement as Mike Santoro is to me, and I look forward to our lunches together, he reached out to me in the last week and a half, right? Because you, you were having hardships Dealing with physical sickness, dealing with work strain, dealing with big decisions. And, and he reached out, and, and I hope that I was able to bolster his faith, to reinforce his faith, to strengthen him. And that's just what brothers do for one another. That's just what sisters do for one another. They pour into one another. They reinforce their faith. They confess their sins, and they encourage, and they pray, and they strengthen, and they bolster The Word of God says that we are to bear one another's burdens, that the weak, that we're to help the weak, that we're to encourage the faint-hearted. Now, now, let me explain it to you like this. The the word here in in 1 Thessalonians that says that that we want to supply what's lacking in your faith, or, or other translations say complete what's lacking in your faith, the gospel authors use that word to talk about the fishermen mending their nets. To mend your nets, to mend the faith of other brothers and sisters, right? You think about a fisherman that goes out day in and day out for hours and hours, throwing those, those nets that have been tied and woven together, throwing them into the, into the ocean and the salt water and they caught on the rocks and the fish that, that they hopefully catch and pull into the boat, right? And on a daily basis, those nets have to be mended. Hundreds and hundreds of, of little ties, little, little woven strains. And, and so when the fishermen come in and they sit on the shore and they unload their fish and a few of them then mend the nets right that's the word paul uses that our faith needs to be mended and look no matter how strong your faith is if you're using it every day if it's being thrown out into the salt water if it's getting caught on rocks if it's reeling in fish there's going to be some weak spots that develop and it's going to need some mending and strengthening and how much better For you to have a brother or a sister, a fellow fisherman, to sit next to you, to support you, to mend those weak spots, to say, you missed missed this over here. And and last week when I mended my nets, I learned this new knot. And, And when my net tore, here's how I repaired it. Friends, if the call is for us to be standing firm amidst the adversity and opposition and temptation and struggle of the word, how much more firmly can we stand united together, supporting one another, reinforcing, building in, helping to supply the weaknesses in one another's faith? And you don't know what you don't know. You cannot see your blind spots. You don't know your weakness. And, and, and so John Guido, that was his wife Marilyn narrating that video 
that I've known for 20 plus years and I've shared with you before how much I look forward to spending time with John Guido and I shared with you earlier this fall how we Zoomed together and encouraged one another. But I got to see him two weeks ago in Hagerstown at a leadership conference and we got to walk together and we got to sit together under a shade tree and encourage one another and he looked me in the eye and he asked me hard questions and he mended my nets in a way that I needed. Supporting me, challenging me reinforcing my faith as we need to do for one another. We need to stand firm in the faith because the current is strong pushing against us. And how much better when we support one another? How much better when you find a brother or a sister that's overcome the very challenge you're going through and you say, say, look at their faith. I may not have that faith. I may not be through the affliction, but I can rejoice and I can find comfort in what God has done in their life. And yes, it can inspire me. Yes, their example can inform me. But I can just rejoice. I can be thankful for what God has done in her life and in his life. As I anticipate, as I hold on to the Lord, that he'll do it in my life. But regardless of his timing for me, I'm going to rejoice and give thanks. Do you see what happens? My faith is reinforced simply by seeing what God is doing in you. As I'm comforted, as I'm inspired in my own struggles. And so we find comfort in the faith of others. We, we're proactive to reinforce the faith of one another in love and humility and in, in, in brotherly and sisterly affection. Look at, look at these last few verses in, in 11, 12, and 13. Paul kind of closes out this section as he's prone to do in his letters. He kind of has this mid-letter benediction. And he's closing out what feels like a closing prayer, but, but he's really just transitioning into chapter 4, into the next section. And, and he offers up three prayers, three parts of his prayer. In verse 11, he says, May God himself, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, may he direct us to you. Right? Paul's made no mistake about the fact that he wants to go see them. He wants to go be with his Thessalonian brothers and sisters. He wants to see them face to face wants to encourage him and hug him and bless him. But Paul knows that his travel plans, that his ministry aspirations are in God's hands. He knows the only way he's going to get to Thessalonica is if God directs him. His desire alone, his effort alone, his travel plans alone are not enough to get us there. How many vacations have been canceled? How many missions trips were canceled? How many business trips? Well, okay, they don't count because you didn't want to go on them anyway. But how many, how many family reunions were canceled? How many plans did you have to go visit loved ones and, and they were canceled? Friends, unless the Lord directs our steps, we're not going to go. So we need to look to Him. If we're going to stand firm in the faith, we need to be walking in His way. We need to pray as Paul prayed. Lord, direct our way. Direct our way to our loved ones in Your timing, in Your purpose. He prays secondly in verse 12, may the Lord cause you, he's now praying for the Thessalonians, may the Lord cause you to increase in love, to overflow and abound in love, he says, for each other, and then he adds, and for everyone, right? For, for Christians in the church and for non-Christians, to love those whom are close to you and love everyone, he says, just as we love you. Just, just with the abounding, overflowing love that we have for you, Paul now prays that they would have love for one another and love for everyone. Now, now again, I had to ask myself, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Thessalonians are still struggling. We've read again and again how their faith is strong, but we've also read how they're facing affliction and they're facing persecution and there are people that are threatening to pull them away from their faith. 
why would Paul be asking them, praying for them to grow and abound in love for every people, other, other people? Like they're sort of in survival mode, right? The people in their city are hostile towards the Christian faith. It's all that they can do to stand firm. Why is Paul trying to get them to love other people when they really just need to manage themselves and try to keep themselves standing? That's enough to worry about. Friends, it is a lie that when you're having a hard time, you need to pull back. It is a lie that if you are struggling, if you are having a hard time, that the pressure against you feels unbearable, it is a lie that you need to turn inward, that you need to put more time and attention and focus on yourself if you're going to survive. Because in times of personal affliction, when it's the hardest to stand firm, it's all the more important that the Lord increase our love for others. That we say, God, cause me, even in my moment of need, to abound in love for one another in the church. In fact, for everyone. Now, now listen, the call is to love your neighbors, you love yourself. And so it's implicit that we love ourselves. And so I'm not saying neglect yourself, don't care for yourself. No. The Lord loves us. If the Lord loves you, you should love yourself. You should care for yourself. You should give yourself appropriate time and energy and, and refreshment and rest. And so we do love others as we love ourselves. But if you're going to find strength, if you're going to find health, if you're going to find growth in the midst of a trial, that's only going to come when you turn outward to love and serve and give yourself to others. Because that's modeling God Himself. That's what God has done for us. He has turned outward to love us. See, we can only be strong, we can only be healthy through a trial, through an affliction, through a temptation. What? If we're imitating the Lord, right? And since God is love at the core of His being, we too must live in love for others, in good and bad, in easy and hard, in struggle and in peace. We must live in love for others. See, only when we are giving ourselves in love for other people, Yes, for your spouse. Yes, for your children. Yes, for your brothers and sisters in the church. Yes, for your neighbors and your co-workers. Only when we are operating in love for others are we operating in reflection of God. And the only way to get through a hard time is to live as God has lived. And if God is a God of love who's continually pouring himself out to others, then we are called to do that as well. That's why we were created to represent and reflect God on earth. Therefore, the best position of strength, the best posture to stand firm is one that seeks to abound in love for others. Do you see that? Does that make sense? We, we, we call God, God, give me grace, even in my hour of need, to abound in love for others, to give myself to others, to serve them in abundance. Because that's how we reflect God and that's the position of strength that enables us to stand firm. And so he prays for them in verse 12. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And then he prays finally for them in verse 13. May the Lord make your hearts blameless. May you be blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Because the day is coming, friends, when the Lord Jesus himself is returning. Returning with all of his holy saints. And Paul's prayer for them and our prayer for ourselves and for one another is that we would walk in blamelessness. Walk in holiness when the Lord Jesus returns. Now listen, there's this dual reality in the Christian life. You've heard me talk about the already, not yet. Right? Because the reality is through the work of Christ. As we sang earlier, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. 
through the finished work of Christ, through the power of His resurrection, we are already blameless. We stand before God already holy, perfect in His work. But it's not yet fully realized in our lives. We're not yet fully walking out the blameless position that we have before God because we still battle with sin. Sin is still pushing against us. Hence, we need to stand firm. And so we are already blameless. And Paul says, now now let's pray for one another that we would walk as holy sons and daughters of God. Walk as blameless children before our Father. So that when Jesus returns, He sees us striving for purity. Completing what is lacking in our faith for one another. And so Paul's prayer and our prayer for ourselves and for one another is that God would would convict us and stir us and strengthen us that we could be blameless in our thoughts, all that we think. Blameless in our words, all that we say. Blameless in our deeds, all that we do as we prepare for the coming of Christ. Now, that's, that's a high calling, right? But thank God that that's why Jesus came. That's why He died, that's why He rose again, that's why His Holy Spirit fills us. Not that you could reach some artificial standard of holiness on your own, but so that through His grace, through His Spirit, through His power working in us, we could grow more and more into the image of Christ. And the promise of Scripture is that when we see Jesus face to face one day, we will become like Him. When we see Him as He really is, we will become like Him. Now this theme is going to continue in chapter 4, and in chapter 4 the Word is going to continue to charge us to walk in a way that pleases God. To abstain from sexual impurity and immorality. And we're going to talk more about what it is to be blameless as men and women in a fallen world. More to come on that next week. But today, friends, the call is to stand firm. To stand firm. Paul says it like this in in another, in another letter to the Philippians. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Can we take up this call to, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? To be standing firm? Do, do you see what he says here? Look, if any of us are going to have a chance of doing this, it's going to be because we're standing firm in one spirit. With one mind striving side by side. Let's strive side by side together in this call. In your accountability groups. In your life groups. Those of you that are like, I just showed up today. I don't even know anybody here. Reach out. And to say, can you pray for me? Can you encourage me? Side by side. We can only stand firm when we're side by side with with others in Christ. But ultimately we can only stand firm when we are in Christ. We only stand firm for God because God has stood firm for us. Listen, you waver, your intentions waver, but God's promises never waver. Your love is fickle, but God's love is steadfast. Your words, try as you may, don't always come to pass, but God's word is certain. And so today, as we hear the call to stand firm, know that God is standing firm, has stood firm, and will continue to stand firm for you. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to lay down His life for us. The Gospels say that He set His face towards Jerusalem. That means He firmly said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay down my life, bear the sin of the world, face 
the Father's wrath on the cross. Conquer sin, death, and the devil. Rise from the dead. Jesus was firm for you and I. He conquered death and he walked out of the tomb to now stand for us against the pressures and the afflictions and the opposition of the world. And now his spirit fills us. If you have faith in Christ, know that it's, it's not just about you and the Father. It's not just about you and your faith in Jesus to get you to the Father. The Holy Spirit of God comes and fills you and seals you and guards you and empowers you to stand firm in the faith. Cry out to Him in your hour of need. And so listen, as the worship team comes, we're going to sing a couple of songs together. And, and, and my hope is that this could be a time of prayer time of ministry where the Holy Spirit can work in your life. And maybe you identify those pressures and those currents and those slippery rocks and the ways the cold water is, is pushing against you, threatening to topple you over. And you can pray and you can say, God, give me grace, give me strength, help me posture myself to stand firm. Help me surround myself and to reach out to others that they could bend my nets, that they could supply what is lacking in my faith. But at the end of the day, as we're going to sing in a moment, we cry out to God that He would hold us fast. Because He is ultimately the only one that has stood and that will stand firm. I encourage you to stand with me or to kneel at your seat, to lift up your hands, to bow your head. Let's stand and, and pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. I pray that its truth would speak to us and encourage us. We thank you for the work of Christ that as we hear this call to stand firm, we don't do so in our own strength. We trust once again in Jesus, our Savior, that there's power in his work. Holy Spirit, come now and fill us. Hold us firm. Hold us fast. Hold us steady by your grace, in your sovereignty, in your love, in your victory. Hold us fast. Anchor us. Ground us. Bound us in your love. Keep us firm in you. The only one who is stable and steady. We look to you now. Hear our worship.